Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and welcome to the Drafting the Circuits program. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we uh, have another show talking about racing when there is no racing, but uh, we've got some interesting stuff to talk about. Joining me in the studio tonight, Seth Eggert, Richard Uden, and Louise Torres. Fellas, how we doing tonight? Doing good. Good, thank you. I'm battling for my life working at my weekday job with a mask, no less. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, sad stories all around. So, yes, we, as we all try to get through the, uh, the, you know, the coronavirus and the quarantines and the lockdowns, uh, um, we're, uh, we have iRacing to uh, keep us uh, engaged, and it seems to be picking up quite a bit. Um, interestingly enough, I see that uh, IndyCar is going to have uh, – Lando Norris um, running with them this weekend, possibly William Byron. Um, but at the same time, I'm still waiting for NASCAR to invite some IndyCar guys to their playground there. It seems like it should go both ways. But um, go ahead, Seth. I see you got well, something to say. Well, for uh, Talladega this weekend, I know they are inviting a few more people in, in addition to the regulars. Uh, now, whether or not that's IndyCar drivers, I don't know. I know uh, Jeff Gordon will actually race instead of just commentate. Uh, and they were hinting that the field might be as many as 60 drivers, uh, which on iRacing what? is possible. So, well, I mean, that's uh, quite well because at Talladega you can have one accident take out 30 cars, and you can still have, you know, nearly a full field of cars left over if you start in 60, yeah. So It's certainly going to make creating graphics a living nightmare, that's for sure, because I do those NBC graphics on Twitter with the numbers and all that, like the entry list. And speaking of that, also Chaz Moser from the Supercars is also going to try to do some IndyCar stuff as well this Saturday. So, yeah. Heavy star-studded lineup, but I do agree, Frank. It would be nice to see a couple outsiders give it a go. 
And I know uh, Joey Logano is hopping over to the supercars to run one of their races as well. Yes, and uh, Will Power is doing the same. He's going to run the Australian supercars as well. So a lot of cro- – you know, it's interesting that we had to have iRacing to have a crossover like we've always wanted to see in real racing. I wonder if the day will come where we have actual – actually more crossover uh, in the real world kind of after the world gets sort of back to normal. And we had talked about this um, – weeks ago that the opportunity for more crossover is a little more available now because guys don't have full season sponsors. Now you have these different bits that are, they're kind of put together to finance the season. So these things aren't as ironclad as they once were keeping them into one series. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. But uh, again, anybody's guess. All right. So no comment from you guys. All right. So tonight's topic (laughs) We've uh, we've got another historical topic. I mean, we, we've talked about some of our favorite races. We talked about um, a few different things the last several weeks. We've talked about our favorite racing movies. Uh, we've had a lot of fun with that. Um, I want to talk about guys that uh, retired very suddenly. Um, with shocking retirements, we'll call this. Uh, and, and there are obviously guys like, um, say, a Dale Jr. or a Dario Franchitti who, who retired due to health concerns uh, or, or injury, um, and, and those are, you know, maybe it cut their career shorter than it should have been, uh, but uh, there were definitely circumstances that were out of their hands. But uh, I want to talk about uh, a few guys that just kind of walked away from the sport um, kind of suddenly or, um, you know, unexpectedly or maybe with a lot of potential left. And um, one of the guys I want to bring up is um, uh, one of uh, your countrymen, there well not your countrymen but uh you know a resident of great britain and that's jackie stewart who was really at the top of his game when he walked away from the sport he was a reigning world champion in 1973 and he retired at the end of that season um there were several factors that went into his retirement number one he was very frustrated with the level of safety in the sport or the lack of safety in the sport um i think he was deeply affected by the loss of his teammate uh young francois sever who he had uh, mentored uh, and sever was a a tremendous up-and-coming young talent whose career was cut short at watkins glen in 1972 or mm-hmm. and um or 73 rather um and then stewart sat out the rest of the season and retired but now he stayed active in the sport he kept campaigning for safety. Uh, he's still he's still very active uh, in oh, in, yeah. the, in the sport. He's uh, he's worked in television. He's worked for Ford. Uh, he had a stint as a Formula One owner. Uh, but when he considered he was at the top of his game, one of the top Grand Prix drivers, and he was only 34 years old in 1973 uh, when he walked away. So now, Richard, you're f- pretty familiar with Jackie Stewart. So let's talk about Jackie uh, a bit because he's a he's a guy I have tremendous respect for. Oh yeah, I'm actually gonna. I got a funny story about Jackie. Um, we were at a, a test once. I think it was in Barcelona, and um, Jackie was uh, in our. Uh, this is when we were with BAR Honda, and a lot of the guys from BAR Honda used to work for the Stewart team before they got bought out by Red Bull. And so, if he was ever at a test, he'd you know he'd often come over into our. Um, you know, trailer and, and sort of talk to some of the guys. And um, I was walking out the back of the trailer while he was still in there, and I, I go down the steps, and these steps collapse on me. And I fall sort of flat on my face with, like, 
cuts and scrapes and bruises all over me. And then <laughs> all anybody could say was, Gosh, it's a good thing Jackie didn't fall down those steps, wasn't that? That is funny, yeah. Good thing it was good thing it was Richard falling down. Oh, exactly, that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Jackie's yeah, it's like, yeah, he's, he's, he's closer to royalty than you, so uh, I'll allow it. <laughs> exactly, yeah, he's he's a sir, isn't he? I'm a, um, yeah. yeah. But uh, no, I mean, you, you're right. Jackie was, was arguably one of the pioneers of of safety that we all know of, um, and he did he did so much for the for the sport and the safety side of it. You know, the stories about he used to drive with a excuse me with a wrench in his in his car and a you know some scissors to cut his seatbelt if he got in an accident and all this sort of stuff. Uh, you know, way before his time. And I think, you know, you know, when you look at the numbers from the people that had a career the length that he had, um, you know, his his chances of surviving were slim to none, basically. So he probably got to a stage in his life where he was like, you know what, uh, we're, we're done. <laughs> and we're going to walk away from this and we're going to, you know, to take take what we've got, and uh, I don't think back in those days anybody could really blame him. I think it was pretty uh, pretty impressive what he did to, to sort of stand up to the, to a certain extent, stand up to the um, establishment and, and believe in what he believed in. Um, so he's, you know he's got to take a huge amount of credit for that. It's obviously not an easy decision to make. But, yeah, it, uh, it, it didn't earn him any friends at the time. I mean, he was uh, no, you know, he was uh, he was not a popular world champion in his day because he was so outspoken against the FIA and the and the circuits, the circuits in particular. And, and yeah. the whole story about keeping the spanner in his car, he, he describes that in a film I saw. And I want to say the film was uh, that the Formula One film that's called One, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But he talked about the, the response time to get an ambulance to your car on some of these long, long circuits. Yeah. You, you could be sitting there. And I, th- I believe he said he had an accident and went off the – off the track. Uh, I think and, this and was the one in South up, Africa, wasn't it? Ended up in a barn or something. Yeah. And, and he couldn't get out of the car, so from that day on, he kept himself the the tape and the spanner and and other tools that if he had to extract himself from the car while waiting yeah. a ridiculous amount of time uh, for somebody to come and help him. So, but uh, but but at the end of the day, he wasn't popular um, as a world champion when he retired because he was outspoken. But but in the ensuing years. Um, he became one of the most respected men in motorsport. Oh, without a doubt. And you look at what people like himself and Sid Watkins did and, and people of that ilk, you know, they did a huge amount for the sport uh, on the safety side. And uh, looking back on it, the sport, uh, and, and again, we have to be, you know, you have, you have to make this note, not just Formula One, but all forms of motorsport, you know, IndyCar, NASCAR, you know, endurance racing, they've all benefited from guys like Jackie Stewart and, and Sid Watkins, who've done a huge amount to, to help develop uh, the safety of our sports that we enjoy watching you know they're not quite the same when you know everybody loves watching the wrecks and the accidents but it's um you know it's, it's good when people can walk away with it certainly and when you consider the people that uh, jackie lost along the way jim clark and him were were tight they were you know they were they were really good friends uh really close friends him and jim clark and then Sivert, uh was a really close friend at all and, and all the guys that died in between you know, you yeah. were there. Were uh, you'd have um, somebody who, uh, you know, at the beginning of the it was a Mario Andretti said at the beginning of the season, you would look oh. around the room and wonder who wouldn't be there at the end of the season. Yeah, you know, and, 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 and it, you was, it was you. never anything to do with 
it's never anything to do with ability or skill or anything of that ilk, was it? I mean, you know, you look at the people that were lost, you know, the centers of the world, Jim Clarks, the Joe you know, Sifford, the, the great, yeah. great drive, you know, um, you know, so it was, it was a lottery. You were, you were playing, you know, Russian roulette sort of thing. And you, you know, you've also got to be, you know, considerate as well a little bit. Uh, you know, this was coming off the back of the Second World War, where you know, unfortunately, death of young men was was reasonably rife, and you know, people didn't really consider it anything out of the ordinary that you know these guys were killing because everybody was so used to it. Um, and it, it did sort of take a bit of a reality check at some point for the guys to say, look, you know, this isn't good enough. Yes, and it wasn't good enough. So now, Seth, you've got an example of somebody who uh, maybe retired kind of suddenly or unexpectedly. Uh, I do, and. It- in a similar vein to Jackie Stewart over on the NASCAR side, Ned Jarrett, uh, after winning the championship in 1965, he ran about half the season in 1966 before uh, retiring from the driver's seat going into TV uh, and radio, for that matter. But uh, he also was an advocate for safety, especially after the death of his friend, Paul Roberts in back then the World 600, now the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte Moore Speedway. I, you know, I got a uh, chance to meet Ned Jarrett once several years ago. Um, I was living in the Charlotte area and I got to meet Ned and I, I find him to be a very fascinating guy. And it was during the same era when him and uh, Benny Parsons were uh, in the booth for ESPN. And I thought that combination of, of, of guys in the booth was probably, um, you know, no, that's, uh, yeah, that was Ned and Benny, right? Yes. Right, because yeah, then I, I believe Ned also took a gig with C, CBS for a while as well. Uh, but that, that combination of guys in the booth I thought was outstanding, one of the, one of the best ever in the, the history of broadcasting. I got a lot of respect for Ned Jarrett. And the other the other Ned Jarrett story I always liked is the fact that he would uh, he would sell some of his year-old cars or a couple year-old cars to uh, – to his friend Wendell Scott uh, for like literally next to nothing, just to help Wendell out because uh, those two had a uh, had a bit of a friendship uh, there and they had a mutual respect for one another. But Ned would often help uh, Wendell Scott out. Yeah, he helped Wendell out a lot. As did uh, Richard Petty towards the end of Wendell's career. But uh, he won his first championship, uh, Ned Jarrett, in 1961, and. He had, after the death of Fireball Roberts, he had promised his wife that the next time he won a championship, he would retire. Well, a few years later, he won the championship in 1965, uh, ran off and on throughout the next season before finally retiring from the driver's seat. The patriarch of a racing family with uh, Dale Jarrett and then Jason Jarrett, uh, DJ Maybe when he, uh, at the end of his career, stayed maybe a little too long, but that would be for another uh, show that we were talking about possibly doing at some point. Yeah, we might get to that later in this show, yeah. So <laughs> Now, uh, now, uh, Louise, you want to weigh in with, uh, this is a rather recent one you've got uh, that, that you sent me in the, in the message, so go ahead and hit us with that one. I know Richard will have some comments on this one. Well, actually, actually, Richard had it. I think, yeah, you, you, yeah. I think you got yeah, the wrong way around there. Yeah, but I do have right. one in oh. mind. Oh, I'm well, reading, the, reading the chat wrong. Yeah, okay. So, so Louise, you can have with yours, and then, then Richard will talk about your more recent one. 
Yeah. So I say there's plenty out there. I, I'd say the more surprising one in relatively recent type, but not recent recent will have to be Mika Hock Mika Hakkinen. And considering a few years ago he won back to back world championships and then just a short amount of time he decided to retire. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over eighty casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world. That's chumbacasino.com. No Purchase necessary, void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Under his own terms. It makes me wonder to this day how further, depending on how McLaren's reliability would have parlayed into that role, role Hackett and Schumacher, that rivalry for, a, for the few years it was, it was just nothing but pure brilliance. And you could say the most purest rivalry Schumacher ever had was with Mika. Oh, where sure, yeah. there are no super politics, there were no controversies, there were none. They didn't have to involve their cars. It's just they had the mutual respect. Sure, there were at times where they may have Schumacher might have pushed over the line, but Mika, known for his hand gestures of trying to explain things, they always found a way to just have the pure respect for one another, and they knew that the better whoever was the better man would win the race. But once Schumacher and the Ferrari dominance really took off from 2000 on for 2000, 2004, Hakkinen just was only there for a few more years. But considering I understand, I could understand why he wanted to retire after 01 to spend time with his family. He's already, he already accomplished a lot. He won, he won a Silverstone. He won the world championships. He basically cheated death at Adelaide in 95. Mm. So who, and, and and kind of his, his career is just rather interesting, nonetheless, because it took him a long while to win. But mm-hmm. once he got into the winning ways, there was just basically when he was at his best, nobody could stop him. And it makes me wonder how again, it makes me wonder what if the reliability of McLaren would have been much stronger. I'd say mm-hmm. we would have had a far bigger intense rivalry similar to what we have, but it'd be in a much larger scope where. Obviously, in Formula One, people talk about Senna and Prost. I like to think if the if the thing went on for a few more years, Hakkinen and Schumacher would have been well up there in the greatest rivalries of all time. It is considered, but right up there, all time, no debate, no disputes. Who's to say? But totally understand why he had to retire when he did, and he did give, as Mika likes to say, the run on a one-year option to come back one year and see how, if he changed his mind. Yeah. Of he course, did a test, didn't they? Yeah, he, he did, did some, a test. Yeah. yeah, he did some stuff, and then he was just content with retire, retiring. He did, uh, he did DTM, didn't he, for three years? Yeah. What yeah. a couple a, of races in that, but... Uh, but yeah, as far from yeah. an F1 perspective, he's just content. 
but no doubt he was just super super fast. He just you could consider him as a late blossom driver. Oh sure. I mean, just look at the numbers here. You know, he made his debut in '91 with Lotus. Joined McLaren in '93 at the end of '93 to replace. I think he replaced uh, Michael uh, Andretti. Michael Andretti. Yeah, the last three races of the season there. But then 94, 5, 6, 7, it wasn't until the end of 7 that he won a race. And then he went on and won his two world championships back-to-back. And then came second in 2000. Um, but it was, um, you know, 2001. You know, you know, I remember that season, 2001. And I think the, the race that really, I think, did it for him was Spain. When I think he'd won the last three Spanish Grand Prix. And I think he was leading Spain with a couple of laps to go. And yeah, he had a all gearbox the... or transmission failure or something on the very last lap. Yep. And uh, I mean, he had like a, I was just looking at here, 40 second lead. Um, yeah, he had an engine failure on the final lap. So, I mean, it's, um, you know, I think to me, th- that was the sort of point where I think it started to probably weigh on. It was like, you know, if this sort of thing can happen, is it really worth going through it all? Um, and then he, he only he won two races that year. Um, yeah, but and it those sort were, of faded away. Yeah, and those were the two that he wanted to win most. Based on this, yeah. what was it, two thousand two, two thousand three interview? Yeah, that's on YouTube. He said that's the two that he wanted to win most. It was basically what he wanted. To, he wanted le- the only things he had left to do. And yes. Basically, and I, I, you know, I, I gotta say, yeah. when it comes to Mika Hakkinen. Um, you know, he's 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 a guy that you really don't hear a lot of discussion about when they talk about the top Grand Prix drivers. And I want to say, you know, part of that has to do with the, coming off of his back-to-back championships. The, the next five seasons were followed by, you know, absolute Schumacher, Schumacher yeah. domination, where that's, any, that's all anybody remembers from that era is that, uh, you know, Michael was winning races, you know, left and right and just piling up the wins. And the... The, the Ferrari's advantage was so much that, that guys like Hockenden who, who were out there and, and really giving it their all uh, were mm-hmm. just, you know, you know, just kind of uh, table dressing to, to, to Michael's, you know, bunch of wins. But you look at it, he had like 15 podiums before he won his first race. Yes. So, yeah. you know, the speed was with that. I mean, he had a, he had five, six podiums in the McLaren Peugeot of 94. I mean, that thing was a dog of a car. Yeah, and that's the thing as well. He, he, when he joined McLaren, they were not in the greatest shape because he came in at, ma- at a bad transition oh, yeah. period where you had Senna, who nobody knew he was going to be running the whole season, which somebody told me explains why he had the number eight and Michael had the number seven instead of the other way around. Then Michael yeah. didn't live up to the bargain. And I think wasn't it last minute to join Ford? Because they wanted a Renault, but they couldn't get the Renault engine. Yeah, like they wanted. yeah, I think the was supposed to be yeah, yeah. ninety two was supposed to be Senna's last season with McLaren, and he was supposed to be joining Williams at the start of ninety three. But Williams had already signed Prost, and Senna didn't want to join Prost, and Prost already had the contract for a year, so Senna sort of stayed with McLaren for the remainder of that for for ninety three, and it was still as you say, I think it was on a race by race deal. Uh, I think he got like half a million dollars a race or something. And uh, yeah, and, and and I know that, you know, Senna had a huge amount of respect for Hakkinen. Um, and, and really, really held him in a very, very high regard. Um, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, at the end of the day, I believe Hakkinen they. Maybe Hakkinen out qualified Senna in the first race together. 
Let's have a look, did he? I think he had uh, Yeah, he did, him. yeah. Yeah, so in, in Hagen's first race for McLaren, he qualified third and Senna was fourth. I mean, it was like five hundredths of a second, but, you know, <laughs> still, uh, you know, Hakkinen out did Senna at the, in their first race together in qualifying. Yeah, as I um, recall, they had Hakkinen under contract on the, the <laughs> you know, in case that uh, Senna would just leave yeah. one day. But at, at the end of the day, at the end of the season, it was Michael who was showing the door and, um you know, Hockenden put in the car and was uh, immediately, you know, did did pretty well with it. And uh, you know, in the ensuing years, again, he won a couple of yeah. titles. But but even if he, just just to, just to mention Senna and and the the dog that that that, that car was, that where, where Michael had a horrible <laughs> time. Senna still won five races that year. <laughs> you know, that's, well, that, that that's the thing that, that just blows me away. That's how I think it was Senna more. Was. I think it was more those two years. You know the. The ninety three, ninety four seasons where they had, um, you know, McLaren had the the Ford and the Peugeot engine. I mean, they were they didn't win a race in ninety four. They, as I say, they won half a dozen or so in ninety three, didn't they? One, two, three, five, yeah. So, uh, um, you know, they yeah. they they did okay. And now it'd be interesting to know, and I don't know the background of it. When Hakkinen retired at the end of two thousand and one, was that the end of a contract or did he break a contract? I think he. I believe he's just he talked to Ron, talked to Ron how he felt, and then Ron told them that by that he'll give him the year off, and by sometime in 2002, he'll give him an option for 03. I think it was an open deal. They did take a sabbatical, sure. didn't they? Yeah, gave he gave him the sabbatical, and then told him to come back within some point in 2002 to give him a definitive yeah, answer. That was, how yeah, yeah, I remember that now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Prost kind of set that precedent with you taking the year off uh, a few years earlier. Prost, yeah, and Mansell, Prost sat Mansell out in '92. A little yeah. bit similar, didn't they? Well, Mansell took his sabbatical in Indy cars, yeah. And then was too fat to fit in the McLaren when he came back. This is true. This is true. Now, now, Richard, you've got uh, you've got one that's more recent that you want to discuss. Yeah. And, and I apologize for getting the names mixed up in the chat here, that's but okay. uh, yeah, yours. Okay. This one, it certainly was a uh, came out of left field, it's unexpected. But go right ahead. Yeah, so it was it was the day after uh, Nico Rosberg won the 2016 Formula One Championship in in Bar, um, Abu Dhabi, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm done, guys. See you." <laughs> He's like, "Oh, oh, oh, okay. Um, wow. <laughs> you know, I don't think anybody saw that coming." And um, the, I, what I loved the most about it was the I'm going to say the politics of it. I thought it was brilliant. I thought, you know, because Rosberg and Hamilton had created this rivalry that was pretty asinine. And there was something going on within the team. You know, there was this whole thing about um, when the mechanics swapped over at the end of 15. So, you know, Rosberg got Hamilton's mechanics and vice versa. And some of the engineering stuff moved around. And I I don't know how much was was really involved in that, but... um, it was very messy and it was very, you know, something was going on in the background that was, that was, wasn't healthy for the team. And yeah, you know, I, re- you, I recall you know, the, yeah, the relationship between Nico and Lewis was, uh, I mean, it would flip flop back to, Oh, we're best friends to, to very toxic. Uh, you know, it was, I mean, it was, if you look back at it, it made, it made, it made for good tabloid. Oh, yeah, but if you look back at, I think it was Rosberg's first podium in Formula One. Hamilton won that race. I mean, they were like little high school kids jumping off. You know, they loved it. It was, you know. But, yeah, when they started to be, you know, rivals on the track, um, 
Yeah, I mean, there, there was it was it was nasty. It was really, really nasty. And I think that, um, you know, the, the, the sort of hand that Rosberg played was fantastic because, you know, full well that after what happened, you know, you can guarantee the night of the night after, you know, the night of the Abu Dhabi race after Rosberg won the championship, Hamilton would be like, next year I'm going to come back and I'm going to kick that guy's ass. You know, I'm so focused on winning the world championship. This is all I'm going to do. You know, he was he would have been 100 percent. You know, he's going to I'm going to train harder. I'm going to train. You know, he was just determined to beat Rosberg. And then Rosberg turned around and said, yeah, by the way, Lewis, I'm quitting. Screw you. And it must have been the most deflating thing for Hamilton because he didn't have an answer to it he couldn't turn around and and sort of defend himself and, and try and regain that title um and yeah, it was a brilliant yeah. move by Rosberg yeah, when, when, yeah Nico beat him fair and, fair and square uh for the title and then you know yeah. Lewis doesn't have a chance to prove that, that maybe he's the better one because again it's like the world will never know well I've, I've obviously I, I think that uh, Lewis has nothing left to prove, but uh, to your point, yeah, he, he doesn't get the satisfaction of, of the uh, I, "I got you exactly. back." Yeah, so yeah, it's brilliant. I thought, you know, from from for for, for Hamilton or for Rosberg, it, it was a brilliant move. I thought he played it, he played it perfectly, and um, yeah, he he did a. You know, it was amazing to see, and uh, you know, you kind of give uh, give him credit for pulling that one fantastic but it's a shame really because the guy's you know he was at the peak of his game but you know he had a family and I, I don't know if he had a kid then or he does now but you know he's like i don't want to spend time on the family and, and all. so you can't you can't knock the guy for that you know he he, he did you know perfect yeah i mean he, he accomplished quite a bit in racing he's got nothing <laughs> nothing to be ashamed of you know won, won a world title and he's got plenty of money in the bank you know why not why not yeah. he, he does some television work now does he not uh, he does TV. He's a manager, I think. He's got involved in Formula E and and all this sort of stuff. He's, I mean, he keeps himself busy, the old boy. So, uh, good luck to him. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, especially go- not, yeah, especially it's rare to see the chance to a driver leave literally on top. It used to be common practice back in the day, like a, uh, what was it? Sam Hanks won the Indy 500 and then announced his retirement right after the, the greatest glory that a driver could have. So. I don't blame him one bit, but it did call me by surprise for sure. Much like oh, another yeah. driver that retired that same season. Ooh, who was that? Now you're talking about Harry Anto, are you? I mean, that did catch me by surprise as well. Oh, we're talking about, yeah, the other driver I'm talking about is pretty much what we're leading to next, right? Uh, I don't know who we're talking about next because I had one, but it wasn't that guy. But uh, if you want to <laughs> go ahead and throw it in there, go ahead. Who's the guy you're thinking of? Well, that's most. That's what somebody else in this group had, but I missed the cue. But let's go with yours, and then we'll, and then I'll chime in once it's been said. Okay. Well, Seth evidently wants to talk about Carl Edwards. Yeah, yeah, Carl Edwards. Uh, yeah, that's the at one. least he he's the more recent NASCAR example. Well, hang uh, on. I think. Sorry, can I just put one name up that I think everybody's forgetting and does deserve some you know, knowledge for his, his, you know, his retirement? It's Brian Scott. You well, know, I, I was going to go there, but I decided, no, let's go with in between surprise. <laughs> yeah, I remember when, I think he retired the same race as Tony Stewart, didn't he? Yes, he yep. did. And there's Tony Stewart doing, like, a victory for it. And Brian Scott goes, it's like, dude, what are you doing? 
Really? He should be no, thankful he did not wreck. Cares. But going back to Carl Edwards, uh, he retired essentially at the top of his game. Uh, he was runner-up in the Cup Series championship twice. Uh, looked like he was going to win in 2016 uh, until the incident with Joey Logano almost sent him through the fence, at, at least I believe. He cheated death uh, at Talladega after flying into the fence. Uh, he won one uh, Xfinity Series championship, finished runner-up in the Xfinity Series uh, points four times. Uh, he had a very uh, prolific career in NASCAR in a very short amount of time, only 13 years, which, at least in modern era NASCAR, is relatively quick and relatively short for a driver to be as accomplished as Carl Edwards. 28 wins, uh, over 200 top 10s. Yeah, I was surprised when he walked away. I mean, there's lots of rumours at the time, wasn't there? It was health and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, there's also rumours, I remember, that um, because uh, they replaced him with um, Suarez, didn't they? And there was rumours that he'd been basically paid off by Gibbs to retire so but, they could bring Suarez in and bring the uh, money from that deal in. But rumours are rumours, and uh, Suarez was supposed to do another full season in the Xfinity Series. Uh, they had Carl Seats in cars already for the 2017 season that they had to pull out of the cars. So, right, and the, the rumors about the health turned out to be totally unfounded, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. As far as we know, I guess. Yeah. As far as uh, Carl has admitted, uh, it's all been rumors, unfounded. Uh, if, they're at, at, if any of them were true, it's up to Carl to, you know, say anything hmm. um sure. but he's been reasonably active hasn't he since i mean it's uh i mean he has come back to uh shake down the car for suarez uh a handful of times otherwise he he's just doing some one-off uh personal services engagements for toyota that he still has uh on his contract otherwise yeah. he he stepped away completely yeah yeah, that does one was. Still, I know he does a lot of. I know he does a lot of like triathlons and stuff like that. Doesn't he? Does he still do those? Do you know? I don't think he does anymore. I I know there's a rumor that he was uh, considering a run in politics, and yeah, that never came to uh, fruition. So far, anyway. Uh, whether or not he would do that, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, just having you know talked to Carl in the past, interviewed him in the past. Uh, I know he uh, is still working on his farm uh, out, I think he in Kansas. I it might be Missouri. But, Missouri is one of the two. Yeah. yeah. But I know he's still, you know, very active, uh, both at his personal business, uh, his uh, contractual obligations with Toyota, and occasionally – uh, popping into NASCAR, uh, the NASCAR world and the media world. Uh, I believe he's supposed to be on NASCAR race up sometime this week to talk about uh, him being one of the nominees for uh, the Hall of Fame. Mm. 
It was today, I've heard. It might have been today. We yeah. might have missed it. So, <laughs> but yeah, Carl's was yeah that was it just seemingly came out of nowhere. But again, there were those rumors that they wanted to get Suarez in the fold, but but it did happen a year sooner than it was that planned. That worked out well, didn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, yeah, look, they they were gonna have to drop somebody, you know, yeah. and I I guess Carl just helped them out. I don't know. You look at the by, way by design or not? Yeah. You look at the way Toyota run that sort of scheme. It's pretty similar in many ways to the Red Bull scheme, isn't it? You know, there's so many good guys coming through. Some point you've got to turn around to one of your stalwarts and say, "You know what, buddy? See you later." That's basically what it did with Matt Kenseth the following season. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Here's, yeah. here's a nice big check. Go and uh, play with the kids. All right. So I, I I got another guy I want to talk about. This guy had a a couple of uh, different retirements and and walkaways. Uh, and he's one of the most interesting characters in all of motorsports, and that's Nicky Lauda. Um, yeah. Nicky Lauda in 1977, after clinching the championship, just walked away from his Ferrari ride with two races left on the calendar, which opened the, the door for them to put Villeneuve on the car. But he was uh, he was a little frustrated with the um, politics within Ferrari. Um, he, <laughs> he, he <laughs> to put it <laughs> to put it lightly, yeah. But he was um, and after he had the accident in '76, that's been well documented. Uh, he really wasn't happy with the fact that I believe they had signed Carlos Reutemann uh, to replace him before Nicky even got to the hospital, um, and that never sit well with him. And, and him and Reutemann didn't that's get nice. along, didn't get along in the in the '77 season. So once he had the title clinch, he just up and walked away, took a ride with Brab in '78. And then in 79 at the Canadian Grand Prix, uh, during the first practice session, he goes, I'm done. I'm out. Um, as a matter of fact, I was I was at that race, the 79 Canadian Grand Prix, and we had arrived on the practice day. And uh, I was, you know, I was a kid at the time. And uh, I was, oh, it was Nicky Lauda on the track. And my uncle, who was uh, much more astute than I was at the time, uh, watching, he's, he's just watching the line. This guy's taking through the turns. He goes, it's not Nicky Lauda. As a matter of fact, it was Ricardo Zonta. Um, Nicky had retired so suddenly. You know, Zonta was there. He didn't even have his helmet or overalls. Uh, so he's he's got Nicky's helmet on. Um, and that's, you know, practicing the car, shaking it down. So Lauda just walked away um, from the sport. And then a few years later, I, I want to say in 84, he um, he's enticed to come back uh, by McLaren. Uh, McLaren with the MP4 car that he's uh, very intrigued with, so he comes back to McLaren. Um, I believe '83 he came back to McLaren. He won the title in '84, and then walked away again in '85. And and by '85 he he was only 36 years old. I mean he was 30 years old the first time he retired from the sport. But um, uh, you know you gotta admire the guy for for number one being so interesting and um, so impulsive because when he he gets his mind set on something. And he's just like, this is not right. I don't like this. I'm done. So, uh, okay, you're telling me it's Zanino. Okay. You're absolutely right, Ricardo yeah, Zanino. Yeah, Zonta. Zonta was a different one. Yeah, Zonta was okay. later, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah you're, you're right. Zanino, I, I remember it now, yeah. It's, this is 79 this... was the same year that James Hunt retired, wasn't it, I think? Uh, I think Hunt retired at the end of the season in 79, yeah. I, th- I think Hunt finished. Oh, he finished. No, he did half the season. Oh, that's right, yeah, he, uh, yeah. Sounds about right. That's right. He was driving the Wolf car his final season. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so uh, guys, your thoughts on Nicky Lauda? I 
with those two retirements, I, I I could totally understand why he would want to want to leave because he everyone knows he's super vocal and it's one of those drivers. Whenever he speaks, you listen type of guys. No matter yeah. whether you agree with him or disagree, he's one of those that you just have to listen and kind of take take everything in account and just let it record in your brain to remember and then. Go and then just go for there. He was kind of the guy that was super fierce, but he understood that he's. I think he just wanted to have the best car possible, wanted to give it a go, but everything else he's just not too keen about. Yeah, the interesting thing about Lauda is that when he came back to McLaren after after not being in the car for a couple of years, he just picked it up like uh, like he had never left. He was he was immediately competitive. Um, yeah, that's how good the guy was when he had a. You know, when he had a good team behind him and, and a good car. And even, you know, when he was driving for Brabham, that, that car wasn't the best. But he uh, uh, he really, really pushed the potential of that car, made it better than it was. Yeah, no yeah, no doubt. It's like he never skipped the beef. It's very rare you see drivers, let alone any athlete, retire at their pinnacle, come back and still be on top. I look at, I look at him like a Michael Jordan comes back from – Comes back, still at his peak, louder in the world of racing. Comes back. Kimmy was pretty yeah, fast yeah. when he came back. Oh, oh yeah, yeah Kimmy sure was. Well. Yeah. I think it's when he came back driving the Lotus, it made him as as impressive in a stalker even more, yeah. showcasing what he was able to do with that car, competing with the McLarens, the Red Bulls, and the Ferraris. And to go back to Ferrari as well after walking out on them in the first place. Yeah, at least the second, at least. The second stint for him went much better than Alonso's second stint with McLaren. Mm, yeah. Mm, now we're now the hot rumor today was that uh, you know maybe Alonso is going to be back to Ferrari because they had Vettel on a one-year contract. Look at they might not have a race that one year. <laughs> so read that one today. I don't know how much uh, truth there is to that. So, but Seth, you've got another name you want to throw out there. Yeah, uh, Junior Johnson, uh, the last great American hero, uh, he stepped away after basically being one of the best drivers in NASCAR to never win a championship, aside from maybe Mark Martin and, as far as active drivers are concerned, Denny Hamlin. But uh, 50 wins in NASCAR's beginning years uh, in only 300 starts, that is an average that is not matched by many drivers, if any. Uh, I think Junior Johnson, uh, I think maybe David Pearson's one of the only ones that uh, eclipses that percentage. And after leaving the driving, uh, he went to team ownership and was an owner until, I think, 94. Four or ninety-five when he finally sold the team, I believe, to Brett Bodine. That sounds about right, and Bill Davis. Uh, but he won multiple championships as an owner, never won one as a driver himself. Yeah, Junior stayed in the sport a long time after driving. I remember um, he was uh, running, uh, running Fords with uh, him and Bill Elliott had some good success together as a driver-team owner combination. So. Um, now, uh, Richard or Louise, you guys got another one you want to throw out? I say, yeah, I'd say another one that honestly took me by surprise is more or less of how 
Hmm. I was actually going to run with the Brian Scott one because I think everybody that you guys mentioned are are on it from the top of my head. I, I was going to say Rick Mears, but I understood to an extent why all that went down it's because I think it, when his wrecked in the and then Michigan came along, I think he just understood that it was time. And it makes me wonder, with Rick being super successful at Indianapolis, there's, I know somebody brought up the ultimate what if. What if he just didn't? What if he didn't retire in '92? Would he have been? Would he have been as do, super dominant with the Mercedes? Would he have made the 595 while a little while and fit a Pauly didn't? So to an extent, Rick Mears, even as much as he has accomplished a lot in the world of racing. Makes me wonder how he how he he would have done with the with the Mercedes Marlboro Penske that Fittipaldi and Unser would just eviscerate that that month of May because his accidents which Rick Mears when it comes to Indianapolis does that is just extremely rare and then uh, and also just what if certain injuries didn't happen because you you could say Mears was very tough when he came back from this horrific accident. But it makes me wonder how much more he would have been accomplished had injuries not parlayed. It, may, it might have not dictated his career. He accomplished so much, but it makes me wonder if he would have accomplished a little bit more had he stuck around a few more years with Penske in the mid-90s. Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree with you. Actually, I have Rick Mears on my list. This is one of the guys I was going to mention. Yeah, But uh, Rick, like I said, he was very much at the top of the game. He retired in 92. He had won the 591. Um, and, you know, we all know that... Uh, uh, you know, Rick drove in a lot of pain uh, ever since he had the accident in '84 uh, at San Air, and uh, th- there's there's a story that that '91 Indy 500 that, that his foot was in so much pain he was he was just using he was putting his his you know one one foot over his other to hold the gas down uh, because he was having that tremendous battle with Michael in the closing laps. Um, so he's you know he's driving cross-legged in the car. Um, so I, I understand that, yeah, he's, uh, it probably got to be a bit much for him, but uh, he's been so active in the sport and so um, instrumental to the, the success of the Penske team in the ensuing years. Um, you know, I, I had talked to Rick. I had a chance to interview him, and we were talking about, uh, you know, you got four indie wins, but when you consider the, the ones that you've been a part of, I mean, do you like – can you say, you know, I've been a part of, you know, how many Indy wins by now? And he says, well, he says, you know, AJ calls himself a five-time winner because he counts the one as a car owner with Kenny Brack, so I guess I can count all mine. So just uh, just a fun comment from Rick. But, the, again, that's a, that's a great what-if scenario um, because that, that car was so dominant in 94. And certainly, uh, you know, Rick would not have made the, uh, the mistake that Emmo made. Um, and uh, Rick probably would have would have held it back a little bit, saved everything for the end, and it, it might have been uh, Rick being a, a five timer right then and there. Yeah, no, but it's just the suffering he did while hurt. Imagine had he not had that amount of pain, I think he would have been as monstrous. He probably would have won a couple more races, I'd imagine. Well, the interesting thing is, a lot of people consider Mears to be an oval expert. What they don't realize is that prior to that accident in um, in San Air, where he where he nearly lost both of his feet, um, he was probably one of the best guys on the road courses. 
And they didn't have as many road courses then, but he was tremendously good on the on the road courses. I mean, Rick's upbringing is in the SCCA. Um, you know, Formula V and Super V, he went through all that, and he was dynamite <clears throat> on road courses. But, the, you know, in his later career, after the accident in San Air, the, the pain in his feet caused him to not be quite as nimble and good on the road courses, but he still excelled on the ovals. So so there, there's no telling without that, um, you know, that 84 accident uh, how much more accomplished he could be. But but again, I mean, to, to imagine a guy like Rick Mears as accomplished as he is, to imagine that he could be more accomplished is, uh, you know, is icing on the cake. Yeah, it's just the impact he left in IndyCar still does to this day. And also just with putting California motorsports on the map. I mean, when you talk about road courses, look, we look no further than the win at Riverside where he basically walloped the whole entire field. That was basically just only four cars left. How that Penske survived all the attrition and the madness, including the horrific wreck that Dick Simon had, that people forget that Mears just walloped the whole competition that day at Riverside. Yeah, yeah, and Riverside, another uh, wonderful course that's no longer with us. So, uh, But I've got another one. I've got an odd uh, kind of, you know, along the lines of your Brian Scott's, uh, a, uh, a very obscure one, and that's Mike Thackwell. Any of you guys remember Mike Thackwell? Sounds familiar. Yeah, I hear I hear crickets. Yeah, Mike Thackwell was a uh, he was a British racing driver, and he was he was tremendously he was tre- tre- he was tremendously good in junior formula, and and he had a. Had a couple of shots at Formula One, and um, he he actually, speaking of Rick Mears, he filled in for Rick Mears on the road courses in that 84 season where where Rick uh, was recuperating from injuries. Uh, But this guy, he was was so talented, he was so good in junior formula, but he never got the big breaks, right? Never Never got the big break that would vault him into the upper echelon of racing, and um, he, he he did some sports car racing, won a few races in sports cars, but he really wanted to get into Formula One. I think he ended up with five five Grand Prix, but only two starts. Uh, drove for, uh, I think he started a race for Tyrrell, and again, like I said, he's got two two starts in the kart series. Uh, but this guy, he was just so disenchanted with the politics of racing, and and he he said it was all about nepotism. And money, and he was just he was just disgusted with the politics. Although he loved driving, he he walked away from the sport at the age of 27 and never looked back. And 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 by all accounts, he 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 kind of lives a very humble lifestyle, working a minimum wage job. Um, he's he's a bit of a recluse. Um, he lives in Australia now, I believe, and he you know he goes surfing and whatnot. But uh, he had oh, made a made a stop to. Uh, at Goodwood a few years ago, um, and uh, somebody was uh, uh, lucky enough to talk him into an interview where he just, you know, kind of expressed his disappointment. But I mean, that's a that's a, like a guy that just um, just disappeared. So so with so much potential. So now you guys, you guys get any more? I believe that's 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 pretty much all for me. Unless I'll elaborate with Brian Scott. It's just it's the why I mentioned earlier. Fortunately, his last race, he was able to survive not getting into any wrecks because he was involved with so many wrecks that I that oh. I ima- imagine if this I think it was NASCAR man. I imagine he was keeping track like he kept track of the 60 car last year and Natalie Decker. I mean, two years ago, and Natalie Decker last year. Imagine if he kept track of Brian Scott's 
incidents. I would love to see how that would have shaped up in 2016. But the thing he, is, um, go on. He, he was when I was at Childress. He was he was our test driver quite a lot. And uh, oh boy, yeah, yeah. He, um, we would. I remember once we were doing. We were doing restarts. At, I think it was at Homestead, and we're doing restarts. And um, <laughs> comes into the garage, and he's like, "So, guys, how was that restart?" And he's like, "Dude, you'd wreck the whole field if that was your restart if you were leading." Uh, <laughs> he was uh, good job, oh, buddy. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> now you make me want to think how he would nice have done guy, this. Though. Really nice guy. Really nice guy. He's. I think it was his father was a pretty wealthy businessman. And uh, I remember I was uh, in the hall once, and he was talking to us. And we're like, um, so how's Brian getting on today at a test? And he's like, oh, you know, yeah, he's picking up speed. You know, he's, 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 you know, he's doing good. He's doing good. And, you know, we're trying, to, we're trying to think, well, this guy basically pays our wages. You know, we've got to make it sound like his kid's doing good. So, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, he's made some big returns. I said, don't bullshit me. He's terrible, isn't he? He's like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's kind of at least they're at least they're honest about about that aspect aspect. But yeah, at least uh, when you look back, I mean, he's got a couple truck series wins. He got that one cup pull at Talladega, and also his couple races after his retirement, he did all right. He wasn't one of the worst out there, but that's just that cup season just made Sam Hornish's final cup season ten times worse because that forty four car was just a, a a dog, unfortunately to say. So so much so that they just decided, let's just have one car. Yeah, it almost ruined yeah. that team didn't it, in many ways. Certainly, I mean, I'm sure the money did. did. But they... Yeah. All right, so I've got one more, and he's this driver's a little more accomplished than um, Brian Scott or Mike Thackwell. Um, and and honestly, given the guy's age at time of retirement, it's not totally unexpected. But the way he walked away from the sport was was rather sudden, and that's Bobby Unser. Uh, now, mind you, Bobby Unser was 47 when he retired in 1982. Uh, but but when you consider his contemporaries, uh, you're talking Foyt, Andretti, his brother Al, Rutherford. Uh, all those guys drove till about 94. It was about nine, between 92, 94, and John Cock. All those guys retired kind of real close to one another. But Bobby Unser retired a, more than a decade earlier, and he retired in the 82 season after winning the Indy 500 in, in 81. And it was it was that um, Indy 500 win that was one of the most controversial wins, if you'll recall. Um, you know, Unser crossed the finish line first, won the race, then there was a protest the next day. They awarded the win to Mario Andretti the following morning. And then there was a bunch of legal action. Um, then they agreed that uh, Bobby had broken a rule, but they should have... They should have applied a penalty during the race. They reinstated Unser as the winner several months later, uh, but they hit Bobby with a hefty fine that he claims really hurt him financially, and it just really turned him off on the sport. Um, and, and he was he was just disgusted with the outcome and walked away from the sport when he was still very capable of winning races. And then he uh, he then embarked on a, a television career, which uh, you know, and Bobby's a, a guy that doesn't hold back when you talk to him, right? He, he he says he only did the television for the money, and he hated doing it. But but I I thought he was so good in the booth, uh, you know, when it was him and Sam Posey. I thought he was so good. But but many years later, he said, oh, he just 
he did that did that did that for quick money and he and he despised doing it which is really interesting because he was so good at it and passionate with it but uh you know Bobby Ashiano he was 47 but I I still just he just kind of shockingly left uh you know with I think a half a year left on a contract with Penske so any comments on Bobby Asher guys uh, as I like uh, yeah, I, no, I told that one was definitely one of those where I can remember that the '81 win was pretty much what drove him out of the sport. And I know, like the following year, he was like, "What was he? A driver coach or something for Jose Le Garza?" And he he was vocal about that start, where pretty much accused the front row for just starting very, very slow and just cost a whole melee with Kevin Kogan and Mario. So even even that, as far as the commentary. These days, you only, you need some a guy like him. We have a couple then and there, but from the back to the Pam or James Hunt, where they don't pull punches, something you'll need that in the broadcast just to get a different perspective. But the, in this day and age, it's very difficult, unless you're with the minor exception of Paul Tracy, very difficult to get that stuff out there because you don't want to stir the pot where you may be reprimanded or unless you're one team owner that wants to reprimand some, want to get a network to reprimand somebody's comments. But this back in the day, you could probably get away with it just fine, and you just take it with a grain of salt, or just say nothing, or just accept it. The interesting thing about the whole thing, for me, right, is that that Bobby Unser blamed ABC Television for the fact that the win was taken away, and and it's it's a it's a little known fact that when they broadcast the race, right, they they did the the opening laps live, and they did the the ending laps, you know, live as it happened. Then they laid in the commentary for the rest of the race, all after the fact, because the race was shown in prime time tape delayed, right? So I don't know what you know Jim McKay and Jackie Stewart did in the middle of the race. I don't know if they were watching it, taking notes, or if they were you know eating hors d'oeuvres and 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 hanging out with ABC Brass. Uh, but but the fact is that. During the race, the call was not made on the uh, supposed penalty of passing cars under yellow. Uh, USAC never noticed it. Most people never noticed it until the Patrick team filed a protest after the race. Now, ABC made a point to make a big deal out of it on the broadcast, and, and they're calling it, and they say, oh, you know, Jim, oh, my, what is Bobby Unser doing? And Jackie Stewart says, oh, that's a no-no. You can't pass those cars like that. And um, But that... The, the the commentary was laid in after the fact, after they knew there was a protest. So Bobby Unser laid the blame squarely at the foot of ABC TV for him being stripped of the win. And then what does he do? He goes to work for ABC TV. That that that, exactly. that, that that's the that's the uh, the irony in the whole thing for me. So now with yeah. the, with that being said, Richard, you have a trivia question for us. I do. All right, hit me with it. I think you'll like this one. Okay. So, and, somebody, and I, I picked this one up the other day, actually, and I got I got two out of six on this. There are six drivers in Formula One, six Formula One drivers that have won the world championship whilst being disqualified from a race in the same season. Schumacher? Yeah. Hamilton? Nope. Schumacher, wow. Actually, Schumacher is an interesting one. Schumacher was disqualified from two races in '94 and still won the world championship. Right, right. So, uh, so there's five others other than Schumacher. Yep. Uh, I said Hamilton. No, nope, not Hamilton. Oh no, not Hamilton. Okay. 
Uh, Keke Rosberg. Nope. Vettel. Nope. Uh, this is a good question. It is good. Yeah. I, yeah, it took me a while. I said I got two out of six. Yeah, I was thinking Rosberg. Oh, yeah. Rosberg nope. in '82. There's something with the the the, the water break things, but the, uh, I think it was. Um, I don't think he was. I think it was. Uh, PK was disqualified from the win. He didn't win the title that year. Jody Schechter? Nope. Hmm. Uh, How about Mario? Nope. Are some hmm. are some of these going way back? The earliest is is in the sixties, so it's nothing really obscure. And what's the most recent? Graham uh, Hill. 90s. No Hill. Nope. No. Ay ay ay. Senna. Uh, Senna was one of them in 88. Yes. Ah. He was disqualified from the first race of the season in Brazil. Hmm. Which I'm sure went down really well. How about <laughs> Jock and Rint? No, 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 not Jock nope. and Rint. Yeah, now I remember. Fittipaldi? Nope. I was going to say Lauda, but that was 76, so... Yeah, no. Uh. Wow. <laughs> Hey, we we got two of six. Combined. Um, yeah, and it is, I didn't get the center one actually. I got another one. So <laughs> I remember it. I remember it really well. Damon Hill. Nope. Well, I figured you'd remember that. You're a big fanboy. <laughs> How about Surtees? Nope. All right. Well, can Shall we go through them? Yes. I want to see yes, because we, yeah, we have less than a minute left. What's the okay, answer? Okay, so the other one, the other one that I got was Villeneuve in '97. He got disqualified from the Japanese Grand Prix for ignoring a yellow wave flag in practice. That was a really political call as well, because normally that was just a rap on the, you know, slap on the wrist. But I think what happened was they protested it, so he didn't take the penalty from qualifying or whatever it was, and they lost the appeal, so then they disqualified him, which of course helped Ferrari, and it took. Schumacher it took the World Championship to the last race of the season. We all remember what happened in Jerez at the end of 97 when Villeneuve and Schumacher came together. So we've got Villeneuve, 97, Schumacher twice in 94, Senna, 98. Alain Prost got disqualified from a race in 85 and I 86. I, I, should, I was going to say that, but I was just, yeah. I, I'll hold back. So he had two. So he, had, he, was, he won the championship in 85 and 86, both being disqualified from a race in those. James Hunt was disqualified from the British Grand Prix in 1976 when he but, won the championship. But he was reinstated. No, he the, disqualified, the disqualification stood. But they restated the points. Mm. Wasn't that loud on the guy reinstated? Yeah, I don't think Hunt did. If you look at the official scoring, Hunt never got the points for that one. He got. He, it was a multiple thing. He was disqualified, reinstated, and then disqualified again. Okay, all right. It was a really messy one. And the first one was Jack Brabham in 1960. Was disqualified from a race for pushing his car across the line. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember that. No, he he pushed his car across the finish line and got disqualified. Okay. I don't know if that's the race they're talking about, but I do remember him pushing a car across the line. All right, well, good good uh, stuff, where guys. Was it? Where was it? It was the Monaco Grand Prix in 1960. Uh, does it say why he's disqualified? Uh, disqualified after 40 laps. So he didn't finish the race. 
Okay, well, that's not the race I'm thinking of. Uh, All right, well, that was an interesting, that was a good question, Richard. Yeah, so we are out of time. So I want to thank you, Richard, Seth, and Louise. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and I want to thank Spreaker, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcast, the folks that host us. And I want to thank you folks that tune in and listen to us. I hope you've enjoyed this show. I had a lot of fun with it. And uh, until next week, good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.